This is episode number 254 of the Rising Man podcast with Larry Hagner. Someone is always watching. What's up, Rising Man family? Jetty Azuma here with another episode of the Rising Man podcast. Today, my guest is Larry Hagner. Larry is the creator of the Dad Edge podcast. He's featured as one of the top dad podcasts on iTunes, and the show has received over 30 million downloads. Larry is the author of three best-selling books. He's featured some of the most elite humans on the planet on his show and in their content portal. He lives in St. Louis with his wife, Jessica, and their four boys, and, um, and also their dog. A lot of testosterone in that house, as I came to find on this episode. Um, Larry's an incredible man. In this episode, we talked about what does it mean to be a dangerously good man? Larry went pretty deep into what that is in the context it holds for him. And really the value of eliminating double standards and making sure that we're consistent with our actions and our words. He and I both discussed this idea that someone's always watching. Even if you're not a dad, even if you're not an uncle yet, there's somebody that's always watching, that's being impacted by the way we live our lives. And for those of us as men, one of the simplest things we can do to be the men we wanna be is take a look at how I'm conducting my own affairs, how I'm conducting myself not to overcomplicate it. Larry discussed the, the battle that he sees going on against men in general, the society that's telling us to shut up, be quiet, make money, provide, compress and compartmentalize our feelings, and why he's such an advocate in having a balanced approach to shifting those stories and, and getting really connected to a community of men who will call us forward into a higher standard. And lastly, the big thing I really loved about this episode was the definition of dad that Larry had growing up, having uh, multiple father figures come in and out of his life at an early age, and especially his grandfather who stepped up and filled out that role at such a critical time in his life. Really beautiful story and so many more pieces that were woven into this. Without further ado, Larry Hagner. All right, Rising Man family, I've got a wonderful man joining me here today, Larry Hagner, coming in live from St. Louis, Missouri. Larry, man, thanks for being on the show. Dude, I'm I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. A father of four, and not only four, a father of four boys. That's that's a whole rabbit hole to jump into there. What's what's a day in the life in the Hagner household look like with that much testosterone? <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. Well, first of all, in order to do this you have to have, you have to have a sense of humor because if you don't have a sense of humor, you're dead in the water. Like you have to be willing to kind of like laugh at things. So you don't like freak out over them. And, I, and I'm not even kidding. So I, I went into my kid's bathroom to use the restroom a few months ago. Like I was, it's like literally right there. And I found a half eaten peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the sink. I'm like, I don't, it's like, how does this even get here? Like how, why, how does this get, how does, I just, you have to laugh at it. Otherwise you're like, what, what the heck is happening here? So, you know, there are things, man, that I say things out loud to these kids that I just have to laugh at that. I'm like, I don't even, I don't even think in my entire life, I would say something like that out loud. Like, please don't bring your cheese and crackers in the bathroom with you and eat while you're taking a crap. Like I've actually I've had to say that out loud. <laughs> I'm like, I'm floored that this is not really like common information. I found a pair of sunglasses, a pair of kid sunglasses in our refrigerator last weekend. Getting, I was getting a soda and there's a pair of sunglasses sitting on top of the soda can that I was going to get. And I'm like, how does this even end up here? Oh right? man. So yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, man. Like the shenanigans that I'm confronted with on, on the day of <laughs> I, I well, I totally understand, man. I love that you started off with that. One thing I've always said to the men in our community is we got to be able to keep things light. Otherwise, we won't survive the deep work. Right? Yeah. We absolutely cannot just be in the heaviness all the time. We just won't survive it. And bringing that back home to our families is so essential, too. If we're always being the disciplinarian, the hard edge, that's really valuable to help help these guys realize they can't have a snack on the toilet, then they're missing out on that piece, too. But on the flip side of it, I've also caught myself being overly ha having too high of expectations for my young children, you know, over the years, yeah. my son just turned eight and I catch myself. I'm like, man, when I was eight years old, did I really understand why it was so important for me to keep my clothes folded and put away 
no, it doesn't make sense to him. Right. There's, there's gotta be that dynamic balance in it. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you this question. Cause I always like to start off early on with this for you. What does it mean to be a man? So I think a man, I like to use the the term a dangerously good man. So that, that, and you know, it, that, that's a lot, right. A dangerously good man. So, you know, I, I lead with my faith, my moral compass, honesty, high integrity, character. And it's also really important to me that I walk this walk, not talk the talk. So like, for instance, if I don't want my boys to get into drugs and drinking, but I have a beer in my hand while I'm telling them why they shouldn't drink, that sends a very mixed message, right? Mm. So I filter decisions through, you know, is what I'm about ready to do, especially if it's in front of my kids, do I want my, my kids to follow in these footsteps? Like, or would I want them to make a different decision, right? So like a lot of the decisions I do, the actions that I take, I filter this through. I would love to see my son do these things when he's older, right? So, and I can give you several different examples of that, knowing what that, what that character is. But also being a man uh, also requires several different tactics and skills and, and that kind of thing. So like, for instance, um, I think most people look at men through the lens of stoic, strong, you know, ironclad, um, emotionally resilient, but I think we can kind of take that a little bit too far and we decimate our empathy and compassion skills. Right. So just as much as like my nine-year-old, you know, he needs me to help him, you know, be a tougher kid, right. Learn how to defend himself, right. Learn how to defend himself and other people that he loves, right. Things like that. Right to be tough when you need to be tough, to be disciplined when you need to be tough. But also when you've had a bad day, dude, you can cry on my shoulder and I'm going to hold you. Right. And I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to identify what I think it is that you're feeling. Right. Tell me more about that. Right. You will never, I, I will never say to my kids, be quiet, man up, grow a set of balls, that kind of thing. Now I take that back. I might do that 1% of the time because quite frankly, there are times where that type of message is needed. Right. But once in a blue moon, like once in a blue moon, because I think if you're teaching the right things, you don't need to pull those levers. Right. Cause you're teaching a, a fully functional human being, you know, to, to lead themselves. As far as, you know, a man too, a man uh, is always true to his word. You know, he always keeps his promises. A man can sit in the fire of his own emotions and not numb himself drugs and alcohol and porn, right? That's not my MO either, right? And that's really uncomfortable to do that stuff. Like super uncomfortable. Like I actually, there are times, man, I like, I hate it. I'm like, oh, God bless. Give me a couple of drinks. Like, so I can just chill out, right? Or is that even going to help? Maybe if I sit in the fire of this, whatever it is I'm going through, see my way through it without numbing myself, would that make me better? And of course the answer to that is yes, right? Of course, yeah. And the last thing I'll say is this measure of a man is also how he treats his kid's mom, right? How he teaches, how he treats his wife. I think, and I didn't realize this for a long time myself, because I think we only kind of know what we know, but my boys, they have a front row seat, front row seat, 3d movie of me and their mom's marriage, right? Our relationship. And it is my duty and my responsibility that I need to show them what good looks like. And I also, it's a huge miss if I don't, if, if I, if, if I don't show them what good looks like, right. Or if I show them what mediocre looks like. So the way that I love their mom, the way that I talk to their mom, the way that I respect their mom, the way that I conflict resolution, resolute with their mom, right. The way I protect their mom, right. All of these things that I want my boys to see because I want them to be, I want them to learn like this is how a man is supposed to treat his wife and the mother of his children. And my wife, and the last thing I'll say is this, she, she shares in that responsibility. My wife's vision of this is I have a responsibility to show these boys what it means for a woman to treat her man very well with respect and appreciation and love and all these things. So that way I'm setting the bar super high and I will not emasculate him. I will not talk down to him. I will not disrespect him. 
I will build him up. I will support him. I'm there for him. I love him. I'm affectionate with him. That way, these boys have a front row picture. Be like, oh, so that's how a woman is supposed to treat a man, right? Yeah. Not, not, not. I treat you great, and I'm a doormat for you. That is not how it works. So I know I was kind of like long winded and super broad, but I, and and I probably missed quite a few. But I think those are really important and meaningful things. Well, I love your response and I'd like to unpack it a little bit because in that simple question, what does it mean to be a man? One of the things I heard in your response and your reflection is to be an example. Yes. And specifically from your perspective, being a father of four, being a husband and and also being a leader of a large community, that responsibility of being a, a role model, you know, that's kind of like the the old terminology or the simple terminology, but just being an example of the of what the standard is, where we want to set the bar for boys and young men as they're growing up. I think that's a responsibility that often gets neglected when there's not a traditional father responsibility on a man. He's like, well, I don't have any kids or he's not an uncle to nephews or doesn't see himself in that position. But one of the things I've always taken from some of the men I've sat in circles with is that someone's always watching. There's always someone watching. And I don't think there's enough men who take that responsibility wholeheartedly that just by living our lives and demonstrating where that standard can be is so valuable to the community family first right right at the core but it permeates well beyond that i think that's something that men who aren't in the traditional role model category could take on more for themselves i that that thing that you said there's always somebody watching always it's that's insanely true there's always somebody watching People are watching you for things that you're doing and things that you're not doing, right? And people take note and people can get in. You, you have no idea who you might inspire just by, just by, you know, watching them, right? So like, you know, be the, you know, I think it was Gandhi, right? I might've said, be the change you want to see in yep. the world. Mm-hmm. And that is so true. Like if you, if you, if you're eager and you desire change, right? The good change, well, you got to do that. Right. Cause it will create this ripple effect. You might impact somebody that, and quite frankly, not might, you'll impact somebody that you never even knew about. You did something, you said something, you were an example. You, you might've been some, you might've done something that it was the first time somebody saw it and they needed to see it, you know? So, and like, I'll, I'll give you an example. I took my son, my oldest son to New York. So I had some media that I had to do. And, and he's always wanted to go to New York and do some sightseeing, which we did. I took him to the Lumineers concert because they were in New York at the same time. And I was standing in line to get us both, um, some sodas and this, and the stadium we were at was outside. So the wind was blowing. We were kind of at the top. So it was really windy. And all of a sudden like this hundred dollar bill came flying out of the air and like hit me in the chest, hit me in the chest. And I'm like, what? what? And I look at it. And my son was with me. He's like, oh my gosh, you just got a hundred dollar bill. And I was like, it's not my hundred dollar bill. And I just stood there with it and I held it in my hand for the full time for like 10 minutes while we were in line. I was looking for somebody looking for their money. Nobody was doing it. And so I told my son, I was like, when we get up to this line, if nobody has claimed this and you can't go over and ask somebody, did you drop hundred dollars? Cause everybody's going to say yes. If I don't see anybody looking for this, I am going to go ahead and keep it, but I'm not going to keep it. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, I haven't decided yet, but stay tuned. So nobody claimed it. Nobody was even looking for it. For all I know, it might've come from like freaking hundreds of feet away. Somebody dropped it. So I put it in my pocket and two days later, we're in church and the gift, the, the, the tithing basket came around and I took that hundred dollars and I knew I was going to do this. I had, I decided the day before. And I purposely sat next to my son who was with me at that concert. And I took that hundred dollar bill out and I put it in the tithing basket and he nudges me. He goes, did you just put a hundred dollars in that basket? I was like, yes, I did. He's like, why? I go, because it was never mine to begin with. And I truly believe that perhaps maybe there was a sign that that hundred dollars was given to me to give it to a better place that needed it. So it was never mine to keep. And I just gave it to where I thought it would be do its best work. And my son was like, I can't believe you did that. Like, but it was a reassuring, I can't believe you did that. Right. It was like, it's like, wow, like, that's really cool. I was like, yeah, I was like every now and again, man, you just, 
you got to look at this as something like maybe it's a sign. Maybe this was never mine to keep, but it needs to go somewhere else where it's not mine. So, you know, and I think that there's, you know, and and trust me, I've given my fair share of really bad examples too. Right. But measure of a man, I think you're always trying to walk that walk that you so desperately want your kids to walk behind you. Yeah. And, and it's easy to forget. I know one of the big places that my wife and I speak about is you know, we really want to raise our kids with a limited amount of screen time, right? We, we see how easily it is for children having access to that to be drawn into it. And because of the nature of our work, it's really easy for us to see ourselves getting sucked into that. I know that's not a unique problem for a lot of entrepreneurs and people who have online businesses out there. Um, but we're really aware of the fact that, well, if we're, if we're telling them that we don't want them to have so much screen time and then they, they watch us on, on these screens, it's a double standard. Totally. And, it, and it's totally confusing. It's very confusing for them. They're, even as kids, if, you, if they can't articulate why that's confusing, it is because they don't operate off of intellect. There's no, there's, it's hard to make a rational explanation for them about sure. it. They're just like, well, you tell me no, but then you do that. It's the same thing. Like you said, if I tell my kids not to drink and do drugs, but they see me with a beer in my hand, that's really where it counts. And yep. um, just to segue from that, I'm, I'm interested because you, you alluded to me before we started that there was an interesting story about how you grew up. I'm wondering what was your definition of dad growing up? What was modeled for you when you were, when the shoe was on the other foot and you were looking at what being a father was from the other side of things? I did not have a good experience with fathers growing up. And I say fathers plural because there were several men that were in and out of my life. Um, my mom and biological father, they got married pretty young. Like I think they were 21 and it was 1971. And then they had me in 1975. And then right after I was born, they got had a horrible, horrible divorce. My dad, my dad was out. He left. And I remember growing up and there wasn't a man in the house and I remember the video camera, like kind of turning on, you know, of, of my memory and all that, like right around four, you know, I think that's kind of when things like, I, I remember being in preschool, even I remember being in preschool and I remember dads coming to pick up their kids and I knew what a dad was, but in my four-year-old head, like I thought moms go out and find dads and my mom hadn't found our dad yet, which was fine. I didn't really care. Like, I was like, oh, I'm with my mom. It's fine. And she'll find the dad sooner or later. And I'll never forget, man, I was four and my mom pulled me aside one day and she's like, Hey, she goes, I'm having a really special friend over for dinner tonight. I really want you to meet him. That was her way of saying like, I've been dating somebody at work and I really want you to meet him. It's time. Right. I had no idea. But in my mind, I was like, Oh my God, she did it. Like, this is the dad, like this guy's going to be the dad. Right. And I'll never forget 1979. This guy walks in my house. He's wearing a three piece suit. He was a white collar data software engineer for Citicorp at the time. And he had a briefcase and a mustache and like literally looked like a picture of a dad, right? Yeah, sitcom guy, dad, right? Like on TV. Yeah, like on TV, right? Like saying, yeah. this guy shakes my hand. And the very first question I ask him, the very first thing that pops out of my mouth is, are you going to be my dad? And I remember like, I felt, I think I heard my mom actually gasp, like, <gasps> Oh my God. Like I literally felt, I think, but it was awkward and weird. And he was like, uh, you know, but they did get married. Mm-hmm. And I think my mom kind of like took that as a sign. Like she married him. I don't think she ever really loved him, but she's like, I think that was like her way of like, I got to get this family complete. Mm-hmm. And they were together for six years and every year they were together. It got progressively worse. My dad was a big, he adopted me. Like that's why my last name is still Hagner to this day. And he, had a heavy hand and he drank a lot. So did my mom and it was really toxic and horrible. And every year they together got worse and worse and worse and worse. Finally, when I was 10, they got divorced and he left, started asking a lot of questions. Like, wait a second, this guy showed up when I was four. Like I know about the birds and the bees now, where did I come from? My mom told me, well, I was married before. I had no idea. I was like, what? She's like, yeah, you have a dad out there. And it's like, where is he? Like, who is this guy? What's his name? And like, so Two years later, serendipitously, I ran into him and I won't out of, out of, out of time and all that. I won't go into how, but I ran into him. He lived three miles from us, had no idea. Mm. We started spending every week together. So he was married at the time. He had a two-year-old son, another one on the way. And dude, I was so happy. Like I immediately started calling him dad. And how old were you at this time? 12. 12. Okay. And started, um, 
you know, immediately started calling him dad. He came to all my little league games. And then about six months into our relationship, things just kind of started to shift a little bit. Meaning like every time we were together, I just felt like something was burdensome on him. Something was heavy on him. Like just something wasn't right. And I remember just calling, like literally picking up the phone one day and I'm like, I'm going to call him and see what's going on. I called him. I'm like, Hey, like what's going on? Like, I just feel like something's not right. I think that's kind of how I asked. My dad was like, and basically I don't even know what words were said. It was too long ago, but I remember how it ended up. It ended up with us going our separate ways. And it was just, my dad was like, it's me. It's not you can't do this. Boom. Gone again. So that really kind of spun me up pretty bad. Like, Right as you're going into your teenage years, it sounds yeah. like. Right? right as I was going into eighth grade, I kind of gave up on school. I mm-hmm. failed the eighth grade. I had to do eighth grade twice. It was humiliating beyond words. But I was just, I just didn't care anymore. Went on to high school, went on to college. That that year actually really turned me around in eighth grade. Got on the straight Can we narrow. pause there just for a second? Because yeah. I think there's something really interesting. Yeah. About, because, you know, I didn't have that experience growing up. But I know I've certainly talked to a number of men over the years who had some version of that story, right? Like yeah. dad disappeared, dad wasn't there. And it's interesting how, cause I think I see this phenomenon with men who go through divorce and they lose a sense of purpose. That's the phenomenon that happens to a, a son when his father lets him down in, in a big way, right? Like disappears, walks away, gives up on however, whatever you want to say. So just listening to your story, it sounds like something, something heavy happened to you. Can you connect back to the, the narrative in your mind that made you care less about all those other things you had going on? Like, what was the story that you were telling yourself about that? Man. I didn't understand it. I thought something was wrong with me, to be honest. Why wouldn't my dad want to be a part of my life? You know, and then my stepdad, he was gone to I literally felt like something was really wrong, like with me. I didn't, I knew deep down it wasn't my fault because everybody around you will tell you that it's not your fault, but that doesn't take away. Well, I understand it's not my fault, but could I have done something different or what if this happens again? Right. Mm. And it happened over and over and over. My mom was married a total of three times. And then she dated guys in between. So I had like these sort of really toxic father figures that were in and out, but all of them were in and then they would completely vanish off the planet. Like I don't talk to one guy my mom was ever in a relationship with still to this day, not one, you know, and that's, that's kind of odd, but the narrative was, and I was bullied I was fat. I was overweight growing up. I think the narrative was my life isn't going to amount to a whole lot. So why bother? I think that was kind of the narrative, you know? Yeah. And, and it's so, uh, first of all, thank you for being vulnerable enough to share that. Cause I think that's a story I've heard a lot of times with slightly different details and characters to it, that belief that there's something wrong with me. Yeah. I think that's what kids do is they internalize things, right? You see, you see everyone else around you who has a father, like, what happened to me on the, what happened to me on the assembly line? What parts am I missing that make me not deserving of a father right now? 100%. And I wonder if there's even something more uh, basic or instinctual about the expectation that we should have our father around. Do, do you think that there's something to that about just having a father or a father figure like that to learn from that's, in, that's in, like biological in us? I do, especially for and I can't speak to a daughter and I'm not saying have being a daughter, it's, it's better or worse or more important than not. I just know that when the dad isn't there, there's, especially for a boy, moms aren't equipped to raise men. Mm. And I don't say that from a sexist point of view, discriminatory point of view. I think that there's a lot of great things that men can learn from their moms, you know, like as far as like emotional intelligence or, you know, um, being able to conversate maybe a little bit better, communicate a little bit better. But, you know, my mom's not going to teach me how to fix a car. My mom's not going to teach me how to go up and talk to a girl. You know, my mom's not going to teach me to be, she's not going to teach me to defend myself against a bully, you know? And I think that there's a huge missing link and a missing ingredient when that, when that, when that man is not in that young man's life. Yeah. 
I mean, I think about it, I think about the parallel as an, as an adult, right. For me being an entrepreneur and always yeah. looking around and saying like, how the hell do you do this thing? <laughs> you know? And as an adult, I'm a little bit more capable of critical thinking and problem solving, thinking about who I can go to ask help for. But as younger people, or before we realize that there's a way to come about solutions, you look around, and you're like, well, who's there for me to learn from? How do I figure out how to do all of those things you listed off and even more? Right. right. I mean, that's like the traditional stuff, how to tie a tie, how to fix a car, how to change yeah. a tire, but just how to treat a woman well. How do I even talk to a woman? How do I identify purpose for myself and connect to who I am? Those are things that go unspoken, I think, underneath the surface, too. I agree. Um, I, I think I think dads offer a lot, you know, for for uh, for for sons in particular that just a woman, quite frankly, can't fulfill. But at the same time, like if it's not there. Right. It's really evident. Right. I think it shows up big time in a young man's life and even that man into adulthood. You know, there are still things to this day that um, I struggle with that I probably didn't learn from a man guiding me growing up. But there's also a tremendous amount of things I did learn. So, Mm. yeah. Well, this would be a fun question. Can you zero in on one one thing that made the biggest impact on you not just repeating the cycle that you learned from this cascade of fathers that you had? Like one thing that you absolutely got, whether it was a mentor that came into your life or some other divine piece that helped you get to where you are. And maybe one thing that was still missing that you, you even to this day, you still never had that you think would have been really helpful. So I, you know, I, I did have like these missing pieces from, I would say, you know, firsthand, like the the most proxy to me, right. Which was under my own roof. However, um, I was absolutely blessed with one thing and that was this amazing grandfather. And he only lived a mile from us growing up and my grandma and grandpa, they were married for 52 years before he passed away. But, and this was my mom's dad. And I think my grandfather, he really saw what was happening in my life. And I really think he stepped up and was that man, but he never said it. He was never like, Hey, I know this is going on. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to be a big part of your life and you growing up. I don't, he never said it out loud Mm. and he never said a whole lot of things directly to me. He just lived it. And I lived next to him with him. Right. So growing up, I think it was probably right around like fourth grade when my mom and stepdad got divorced. My that's when I saw my grandpa really enter into my life. Mm. He, uh, he would pick me up every day after school. Cause my mom had to go back to work. I'd go to his house. I'd do my homework. I ate dinner over there every night with him and my grandma. Um, so I was there every day after school. And then on weekends, every now and again, depending on my mom's dating life and, and all that regime, um, I would spend the night at his house, you know, sometimes Friday and Saturday. Sometimes it was just one. Sometimes it was once a month. Sometimes it was every week. I just depended, but I spent a ton of time with him. Mm. And one thing that I learned from my grandfather, and I'll just kind of paint a picture of who, of what he was, kind of what he looked like. So my grandpa was a very rough, um, tough man's man, blue collar, drove a 18 wheeler for seven up for 40 years and was an absolute workhorse. Like the guy would get up at, I'm writing a book right now. And actually the chapter that I finished last night was about him. He would wake up at 2.45 AM every single morning for work. And it was for one purpose. He wanted to be in his truck and headed to his stops by 3.30 AM because that got him home in time for dinner every night. So he would do that. He could have gotten up at six, but he had been home by seven or eight every night, but that's not what he wanted. So he would make that sacrifice. and do that every day. He also was a walking, talking, incredible example of what it looks like to really love your wife. My grandfather was 73 years old. There was not a day that 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 went by that he did not show my grandmother so much love, affection, respect. I love you. You're beautiful. Like he would grab her by the hand, smile at her. I just love you so much. So beautiful. Like all the time, all the time. He loved her boldly, proudly, and publicly. And my grand, you could just tell my grandmother just loved that about him. And she reciprocated that love. And there was something as even as I wrote this chapter last night, there was something when I was in that house, I felt so 
safe being there. And I think a lot of it had to do with like, they had so much love for each other and it showed so much that it just, per, it just, per, it, it, it just permeated the entire environment. And I think there's something to be said for that because if you're parent, if you're a parent, if you're a man and you love your wife, that's going to make your kids feel really freaking awesome to see that. So I really got to see that example growing up and that's the way I love Jessica. It's the exact same way. Like mm -hmm. my boys, like I'll joke with them every now and again. I'll be like, me and your mom had a fight. We're getting divorced. And they're like, <laughs> that's funny. That will never happen. You know, or they'll, or they'll, you know, I'll, I'll hug her and kiss her and I'll be like, I just love your mom so much. She's so beautiful. And they're like, we know, <laughs> which I love that. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm doing my job well when I'm annoying you. Right. Sure, sure, sure. But sure. they also, they also love it too. And they'll tell me that they're like, we really like the fact that you guys love each other so much. And there's something to be said for that, you know, for that one skill in particular, like if you want to be an amazing man, be an amazing husband, because those, when you walk that walk and you're that example, it's a, it's a gift. If you're doing it for your sons, you're showing your sons how to love a woman. If you're doing it for your daughter, you're setting the bar so high for what is going to be tolerated in her life and what's not. Yeah. I truly believe that. I, first of all, I love that example. I think that that's such a clear picture that you painted. And I, and I love how you can connect it directly to the example you got from your grandfather. I think that there's so much hidden value in that, just the repetition of seeing something over and over again. How many men learned what it means to be a man, a father, a husband from television? right? While dads were at work or just connecting the dots. So uh, such a beautiful story. And in listening to that, tell me what you think about this. Cause obviously you're in sure. contact with a lot of men. I see so many of us, especially nowadays, there's this belief that many of us share that purpose needs to expand beyond our immediate fields of family partnership, being just a good neighbor, right? Like it used to be seem so much more simple, right? Like prioritize family, make sure the family's taken care of, be good to your wife, be a good neighbor, be a overall good person in the community. And I think there's a lot of belief out there now. I'm, I'm sure social media has a lot to do with it that unless your purpose expands beyond that, then you're really not fulfilling your capacity as a human. And that because so many people are expanding and going beyond the, call them the basics, right? The fundamental pieces yeah. that those pieces are getting neglected. And we're starting to see these, these men who build really successful businesses, do incredible things, impacts X number of people. But you look at what's going on at home and that's where all the trouble is, right? That's where the fires are not going tended. So just your thoughts on that. So can I, can I answer this just a little bit more broadly? Cause I think this is probably you want, man. Yeah. So I think for what it's worth there, I, I think there's, there's, there's a battle going on. And I, I don't think that that's any secret, a battle um, against men in general, right? Like shut up, be quiet, make the money. Don't complain. Don't be emotional. Let people walk all over you. And just do the, you know, keep doing those things, right? Don't stand up for what you believe in, be quiet. Mm -hmm. And I even think that there's obviously a lot of political there, there, and not that I think there's, there's a lot of politically political um, trials and tribulations going on in the world right now. It's just a ton of uncertainty and there's a lot of fighting going on. Like I'm a conservative and I'm right. And I'm a Republican and I'm right. And I'm a Democrat and I'm right. And I'm a liberalist and I'm right. And all this other stuff. Right. And I think there's a lot of guys out there. There's a lot, well, it's just human beings in general. There's a lot of people out there that they fight for these worldly things, which I don't think that that's right or wrong. I think that there's a time and a place for that. But I think here, I think here's the strongest fight and the most important fight that we have. And that is the fight for the deep, connected, unbreakable relationships that we have under our own roof. So as men go out in the world, right. And as we work or we, we try to make an impact or we have our political views, or we try to do this, or we try to do this or say this or shout from the towers on social media. 
my belief is, and our mission at the Dad Edge is, I want every single guy to have the skills to create the best relationships and the best connections possible under their own roof. Cause that's where we start to win in the strongest way possible. Because I think as soon as we start to go outside the fan, if, if we don't have like our house in order when it comes to that kind of stuff, quite frankly, does it really matter? Does, does it all really matter at the end of the day? Like, so for instance, I have my own very strong political views and I'm really quiet about them. I'm really quiet about them for one big reason. I'm quiet about them because I don't want someone to be searching a podcast. Be like, oh, there's the dad edge. I know he's a conservative, so I'm not going to listen. Or there's the dad edge. I know he's a Democrat, so I'm going to listen. And by the way, I'm not telling you either way, which one of those I am. Yeah. Okay. Or he's not a liberal, so I am going to listen to him. Or It doesn't matter. Because I don't want men to try to fight that fight for their families through the lens of what side of the political party is this guy on or what are his beliefs, right? Because here's my, my whole belief is that if we're really going to change the world for good, it starts under our own roofs. It doesn't start from us going to battle you know, for all these other things outside of our own roof, because even if we win the battle outside of our own roof, outside of our own domain, was there really any point? Was, was the juice worth the squeeze? Was, was it worth sacrificing the relationships we had under our own roof? My belief is no, absolutely not. Yeah. And I think about it in terms of, um, like I think about a, a, a baseball swing or a golf swing, you know, if, if I pick up a golf club and I swing it and there's a hitch in my swing, but I've, but I feel like I've swung it enough and I'm capable enough. I go and I start teaching people how to swing the club the way I do, then I'm perpetuating this, these faulty mechanics in that golf swing that now other people are taking in applying into their lives. And obviously the metaphor of it is if I'm going out into the world to make a greater and greater impact, and there's things that I've not yet reconciled for myself that are really core fundamental things. I don't, I don't think we need to also wait on the sidelines until we have it all together because who does, right? But at the same time, if I'm going out and I'm starting to punch above my weight class when it comes right. to what I represent and what I'm essentially modeling for other people to follow, then I could be doing more harm than good, which is kind of what I heard you say in that too. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so one piece I want to circle back to, cause I love where we ended up, but I wonder, is there still a piece that you feel like you never quite got that if you, you know, if you're looking back, maybe it's something that you really want your sons to have that you, you still haven't quite gotten in your life as a man. Is there, is there one piece that you can identify or do you feel like you managed to pull it all together over the years? One piece that I haven't been able to manage. Yeah. Cause I asked you, you know, was there one thing that helped fill the gaps when your, your dad was missing? Then you told us the beautiful story of your grandfather. Is there something you feel like you still didn't quite get along the, over the years? Um, I mean, yeah, so there's, I mean, there's a laundry list to be honest and it, it wasn't just me. Um, I, I feel like most people don't get some of these things. So like, for instance, um, how to have better connected conversations within your family or people you care about, right? Conversational excellence. Mm. And here's, here's what I'll tell you. There's three things that I'm after mm. that I never really quite understood how to, how to get them right. Or how to do them. And that is connection connection, connection. It's all about connection for me, because the thing is, is when it comes to, you know, the, I know this podcast is about being a man and rising to that. Right. And that, and it's, if you don't, if, if people aren't connected to you and if we're not connected to them, we can't lead them. We don't have any influence. We don't have hardly any credibility. So we have to be connected to people in order to, to lead well. Right. And how do we connect? We, we connect through communication, through our words, through our actions, through our body language, right. Through, through even our voice tone. And one of the things that we teach in, in the data edge Alliance in our group coaching environment is 10 skills within conversational excellence, where, you know, you're making the other person feel seen, they feel heard, you're connected to them. You know, I'll, I'll share this with you. And this is where I think some of the lies that we, that we buy into 
and even my my in-laws have said this in the past like when our kids were when our two older boys were little you know and they'd be doing something like oh just wait till they're teenagers they're gonna hate you just wait till they're teenagers they get way worse they don't want nothing to do with you they're gonna be all about their friends they're they're gonna be vicious they're gonna be terrible if anybody tells you that that's their experience and it doesn't have to be yours because if you do the right things to connect to your kids, even at an earlier age, like connection with my kids at seven and nine, right? I have 15 and 17 year old. I will tell you that those boys tell us if I had a million dollars, I'd put it on the line and be like, I guarantee I know 99.9% of what's going on in their lives. Cause they tell us, and I think I'd win that bet, but I, but that hasn't come without work. Right. And that comes through connection and conversational excellence that comes from being the person that when things go bad, you can come here, man, unpack it here. I'll help you. I'm not going to throw you a golden parachute and how to solve all your problems. In fact, if anything, when my kids have done something wrong or they need help or whatever, instead of me doing 80% of the talking about like, all right, here's what we're going to do. And here's what we're going to do and how we're going to do about what we're going to do about it. I ask them really deep questions to get them to their own solutions. So I don't have to lecture them. So I'm, I'm raising an empowered critical thinker that is making good, solid decisions, which is simply some guidance, not telling you what to do. You're telling me what you're going to do through the questions that I'm posing to you that you're probably not thinking about. But I think that's one of the biggest missing pieces. I wish I would have known that like years and years and years ago. And I think most of the world, they they just quite frankly, don't know that either though. Yeah. How many of us have that instinct of wanting to be saved, right? Wanting somebody to show us the way. I think it's, it's one of those things I think travels with us from childhood. If we're not mentored and educated to be more critical thinkers. I love that you said that because that's exactly how I feel about it too. And because of the men's circles that I've gotten to sit in over the years where that's been a priority. We don't give advice. We don't right. tell men what to do because like what you said about the golden parachute, right? And the parable about teaching a man to fish or giving a man a fish. We're here to help each other be able to solve our own problems, not so that you can just go and do it all on your own, but so that you're capable of thinking your way into a solution. It's that balance of having support along the way to find solutions instead of just being spoon fed every solution, every problem you have. Cause that, I think that's why so many young men in this, these up and coming generations, they still live in the basement and they, they crumble the moment that they walk outside of the door or they fledge the nest because the world is really hard. It's really fucking hard out there. It's challenging. And it's not, it doesn't stop. It just keeps coming one challenge after the next. It is. And, you know, I like to think of myself, to be honest, like, so I'm compassionate, I'm empathetic, you know, and I, I, I do consider myself a go-to, right? Like, Listen, whether you have a son or a daughter, doesn't matter. If you have a kid, they have three needs from a relationship level. I'm not talking about food, shelter, and clothing for survival. I'm talking about relationship. In a relationship, your kids from us, they need to feel seen, they need to feel heard, and they need to feel safe. Seen, heard, safe. Guess what? That's also the three basic needs of your wife or your girlfriend. Seen, heard, safe. Our three basic needs as men is respected, appreciated, validated. Those are our three basic needs in a relationship. So if I really want to connect with my boys, those are the three needs I need to fulfill, right? And so if you're talking to me, I need to let you know that I see you, right? If you're talking to me, I need to let you know that I'm listening to every single word that you're saying. I understand exactly what you're feeling, right? I also intermix that with some tough love, right? Like, so, okay. I'll give you a, a great example. You know, my 17 year old, he was getting ready for homecoming last week and he's like, Hey, can you iron my shirt? And I go, absolutely not. And he's like, what? what I, I don't really know how to iron a shirt. And I'm like, doesn't really sound like my problem. I was like, I've taught you how to iron shirts before. He's like, yeah, but that was like two years ago. Last time I needed it. I was like, yep. And you're going to be 18 in six months. So you need to iron your own shirt. He's like, but I don't know how. And I said, um, how much time you spent on TikTok today? They they get an hour of YouTube and TikTok combined, just and then they, those two apps, and then after they log sixty minutes with whatever, yeah, and Instagram stuff like that too, it just completely shuts those apps down. Uh, apps down. So after sixty minutes, app goes away. And I go, how much you how much TikTok did you watch watch today? He's like, I you know for an hour. 
did you search up a video that's three minutes long of how to iron a button up shirt? And he's like, no. I was like, do you think that that would have been a good idea? Or did you watch goofball dumbass, you know, videos that mean nothing? <laughs> and he's like, B. I'm like, okay. I was like, well, I'll give you an extra 10 minutes of TikTok or YouTube time for you to search that up and for you to learn. And what did he do? Searched it up. He learned. He came back upstairs beaming with his fresh iron shirt. Yeah. Look, look at my shirt. I'm like, knew you could do it. Right. Yeah. But there's that part of us as providers, right? We want to kind of do everything for our kids sometimes. Mm. But I, I don't do that because I sit there and I think like a year from now, two years from now, you're going to be out of here. No one's going to be there to iron your shirt. You need to do this stuff, right? Yeah, that's wonderful, man. I, I love your style of fathering, especially fathering boys. I think that's really, really empowering. I want to make sure I get you out of here on time. So I'd love to ask you a few lightning questions. Then we can you could tell everybody how to go and follow and track what you're doing at Dad Edge. Um, so let me hit you with, uh, just a few lightning ones. You ready? Ready. All right, man. So what's one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? More leadership skills, lead myself, lead others. Um, and knowing that leaders are not the ones necessarily barking the orders. Part of one of the biggest things we can do as leaders is, um, develop the, the people around us in the most, in the most profound way possible. Nice one. What do you think is the most important value to have as a man? I don't think there's one over another. Honesty, integrity, character, resilience. Excellent. And what do you think the world needs most from men right now? Men need to be the leaders in their home. And I'm not talking about like pounding on our chest. Like I am the head of this household and everything I say goes. We have a tremendous opportunity to teach our daughters and our sons what really good marriages and relationships look like if we step into them and 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 learn how to do that ourselves, right? So I'm a big believer, the biggest thing that you can, the, the most important thing that you can do right now, and this is bigger than us as just individuals, is the the personal and the personal growth that we decide to dive into. So like, for instance, I mean, this sounds self-serving, but I'll just use it as an example. And there's several others of them out there. My buddy, Ryan Mickler runs Order of Man. He runs yep. the Iron Council, right? We run the Dad Edge Alliance. Another one of my buddies, uh, John Vroman runs the Front Row Dads, right? Mm -hmm. Another one of my buddies, Steve Eckert, he just uh, launched, I think it's called Fatherhood Freak Alliance, like, because he's a ex-Marine. Everything he does is freak. Doesn't matter. So Here's what I'll tell you. The biggest thing that men can do for themselves is get into community with other like-minded men who are going to elevate you. You're going to elevate them. You're going to learn things that are going to improve your life. Because here's what I'll tell you. Most men will look at that and be like, well, I don't have time for that. Uh, that's, I'm not, I'm not worth it enough. Um, all these different stories that we tell ourselves, like, and what, what we encourage men to think about is don't be so selfish because it's bigger than you. The work you decide to do on yourself or the work you decide not to do on yourself will impact your, your family for generations to come. So if I'm a guy, right. And like, like myself, right. If I, if I would have been on the same trajectory I was 10 years ago and not doing this work, I would have a shit show for a family right now. My kids would probably have very little direction. Quite frankly, I'd probably be divorced. If I'm being really honest with you, I might not even be alive. I might not be here. So that would have impacted generations to come, right? The work that I decided to do and many, many others, and again, tons of different platforms out there you can take part in. When men raise their hand and say, yes, I'm going to do this work. Well, now you've just hit a domino, a domino effect for other dominoes to fall to where if you're doing this work, you're going to be the example for your kids. Your kids now have a better chance to be better themselves. And if you do that, you're now raising kids who are going to have your grandkids, their own kids, who will be teaching those life lessons to those kids. So the trickle effect is going to see it in your own kids, your grandkids, your great grandkids. And by the way, the things you don't do, you'll see that impact as well. Yeah. So why not do it? Because it's bigger and it's way bigger and beyond just us. And that's what I want men to think about. Yeah. Well, I love that. That brings it full circle to the opening part of our conversation about how someone's always watching. We're always having an impact and often we're not giving enough credit to the impact that we're having. Um, so that was a great point. 
Before I cut you loose, man, uh, where can people go to check out what you're doing at Dad Edge, Dad Edge Podcast? What's the best entry point for that? Um, it just kind of depends on what you're looking for. So like, for instance, let's just say you're not ready for group coaching yet. You're not ready to invest in yourself and that's okay. Uh, we've got a lot of free resources on the website. You can just go to our resources tab. So we've got a couple of free resources for marriage. Um, I've got a free resource on 25 intimate conversation starters. The guys love that one. That's the mm -hmm. most popular one. Mm -hmm. uh, we get so many, so many people downloading that. So you'll get a quick video training on why intimate conversations work so well. And they really help deepen the connection with your wife or girlfriend or whatever it is. And then I give you a PDF with 25 questions on it. You can like literally start using right after the training. Um, if you're, if you're ready to be like, yeah, I'm not wasting my time with anything like that. I want to get right into community. You can go to the dadage.com forward slash Alliance, fill out an application. You'll meet with our team. Um, and then after that, join our group, you're off and running. We're going to teach you all these skills around marriage and parenting and leadership and health and fitness and leader and, and finances, um, podcast. If you're a podcast listener, it's super easy. You just go download the dad edge podcast, wherever you download podcasts and, uh, it's best way to connect. Awesome, Larry. Well, listen, man, it was a pleasure getting to know you by interviewing you for the past 45 minutes or so. I really appreciate Same. you taking the time to be on here, man. I respect what you're doing and look forward to staying in contact with you and connecting further down the road to track your journey and see how things are going over to, with the dad edge. Back at you, man. Thank you for having me. This was a real treat. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Larry brought such a wealth of wisdom here. Make sure you go check out the Dad Edge podcast and everything that they've got going on in the Dad Edge community. And as always, please keep circling back to tune in when we drop these episodes each and every week on the Rising Man podcast. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.